Thanks for tuning in to localjobnetwork.com radio, where you can find all of your favorite employment-related shows. I'm your host, Katie Chesney, and you're listening to Job Search Guide, a show where we get tips and tricks from experts on how you can land your next job. And today we are talking about substitute hires and how you can avoid becoming one. And joining us to talk about that today is Kim Sarnell, and she is an executive resume writer and job search advisor with Horizon Career Solutions. Thanks for joining the show today, Kim. Could you describe for our listeners how employers come about hiring a substitute hire? That's a really good question, Katie. And on a high level, when we talk about substitutes, we talk about people that are essentially interchangeable. Mm-hmm. Analogy that I use often is something like a commodity, right? A mm-hmm. commodity is something that can easily be replaced from one production environment in another. So when hiring for a specific position, let's just say maybe it's an entry-level accountant, mm-hmm. a recent accounting graduate is going to have a lot of the same, you know, regardless of the school they went to, they're going to have a lot of the same coursework, right? Financial mm-hmm. reporting, tax, audit, et cetera. If you're not considering anything else, that's the skill set they're going to have. And if an employer hones in on only looking for that specific skill set without considering other factors, maybe the quality of the school the individual went to or the extracurricular activities they were involved in, they open themselves up to potentially hire a substitute candidate, somebody that meets the skill sets on paper but doesn't necessarily bring anything extra to the organization. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important to note, I don't think employers ever you know, want to admit that they're hiring a substitute candidate. They're not out there looking for substitute candidates, but that's all they're being presented with. If given a choice, an employer is often going to want to find people that have taken those skill sets to the next level in a unique way that brought value to an organization, to a school, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So for a candidate, this really means, you know, in order to not be a substitute candidate, you have to just set yourself apart and do something a little bit extra or special. So what kind of impact does that have on a a candidate's potential role with an organization? So if you're a substitute candidate and you get hired into an organization, Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously you're going to to have a job, you're going to make a living, but you also run the risk of being presented with less opportunities to make a difference at the organization that hires you. Mm -hmm. If they see you as someone that can just play a part or fill a role, you aren't necessarily going to be someone they look to for insight to play um, a critical part in a new initiative or a project. So I think it's really important for candidates to consider what type of role they want to play in an organization. If they want to have real impact and opportunity to create value, then they cannot present themselves as a substitute candidate as part of the hiring process. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about what makes job seekers interchangeable, leaving employers with, you know, many options of, you know, who to pick from and things like that. So what does an interchangeable job seeker look like? Sure. That's a good question. And before I go too much further, I want to be clear. You know, everybody is different. We all come Mm -hmm. from different biases, have different agendas, career objectives, et cetera. When it comes down to it, we're not interchangeable people. We're all unique and we bring a -a one-of-a-kind perspective to our employers, to our schools, to the associations we belong to. Mm -hmm. The problem really starts when we start to write our resumes, right? We look up standard formats, we look at rules to follow when writing them. We use templates when we, that we find online and we build in keywords that we think we need to have in the resume. And we ultimately end up creating responsibilities and duties and keywords that could be on any resume of any candidate. You could basically just swap that name off the top of one person's resume and put somebody else's. 
So in reality, while we aren't interchangeable, on paper, we very much start to look like we are. Mm -hmm. We're blending into the crowd. We're no different than anyone else. And some of the things that I see often on these types of resumes are people that have a lot of keywords and soft skills on their resumes without qualitatively or quantitatively pointing out any specific accomplishments related to them. Anyone can have those statements on their resumes. As I mentioned earlier, having a template, you know, when you see a resume that isn't unique, you can kind of tell, you know, it doesn't, mm -hmm. you know, we know what the standard Microsoft Word formats look like and all of that. And when you think about it, how boring is that for a hiring manager or recruiter to read, right? When they're looking at tons of resumes that look exactly the same. And then finally, when you're talking about the actual content, you know, are you have to ask yourself whether or not you're writing a story that shows how you make a difference? If you're just bulking up your document with keywords and repetitive job duties, it's very unlikely that anybody's going to see you as someone that can add value. So it's going to make it more difficult for you to stand out in that crowd of very similar applicants that can really all be substituted from, for one for the other. Now, one thing that really stuck out for me that you mentioned was that it all starts with your resume with using keywords and templates and everything that you find online. Would you suggest not using those items or, you know, what are your thoughts on those online resources for templates and keywords? I think those are great for a starting point, okay, to give you some basic context to kind of begin the process. And um, there are best practices out there for you to follow. But one thing I always like to stress to anybody that I'm working with is there are no rules to resume writing. Mm -hmm. Okay, there, you know, and if you go out there and you go to resources that tell you these are the top five things you must have to have in every single resume, I guarantee you there's an example of somebody that doesn't have that in a resume. And there's a very good reason that they don't. Mm -hmm. So I think all of those resources are important for people to use as a starting point. But put your own spin on them is basically what I want to say to make sure that you're telling your unique story. Mm -hmm. A template is not going to communicate your unique story. And now that we really know what an interchangeable job seeker looks like and how that kind of comes about, let's discuss what can make a job seeker irreplaceable. And uh, I think one of those things might be, you know, how relevant you are. So how does this play into your materials that you're using, like your cover letter and resume and, and all those other things? Ultimately, you want to show any interviewer or recruiter that you're a premium candidate, mm -hmm. right? That by hiring you, they're hiring someone that's going to add value to the organization above and beyond whatever salary they're going to be paying you. But you have to show why this is the case. And this mm -hmm. is done by using compelling, relevant language that communicates context, the challenges you've encountered, the actions you've taken, and the quantifiable results you've achieved. Maybe you're a finance professional mm -hmm. and um, you're looking for potentially a senior accountant role or maybe a project manager role. Well, both of those roles are kind of different, but they have some ties. And you can take the approach of taking, you know, writing one resume that tries to broadly explain your experience in each of those different areas. Mm -hmm. But I don't recommend doing that. Okay. What I recommend doing is actually focusing on a theme which means you may have to have different resumes and cover letters for different positions. So mm -hmm. in the case of like the senior accountant role, you're going to want to focus on relevant information related to that specific role, which might be talking about general ledgers, trial balances, journal entries, et cetera. In a project manager role, right, you're going to want to talk about project planning, milestone setting, testing procedures, et cetera. If we try to stuff that all into one document, 
we're getting way too broad. And by being broad, you think you're trying to appeal to more positions and helping yourself, but mm-hmm. you're actually hurting yourself and you appeal to no one because what's relevant in one position may not be relevant in, in, in another position. So you need to understand your audience and use relevant examples and language in your career documents that fit that audience's need. You mentioned in a kind of like an effective description of quantitative and qualitative value brought to right. previous organizations and kind of how you use that. So could you give us an example of what that looks like in a resume just to kind of sure. know, set an example of what a job seekers could maybe use? If we go back to maybe that project manager example, mm-hmm. I think this would be, um, we could we can talk about that. We can talk ultimately about writing what I kind of call a duties versus accomplishment statement. Okay. okay. So for a project manager, you could write something like, oversaw implementation of special projects on time and on budget based on predetermined guidelines. It's a pretty basic statement, right? Mm -hmm, I mean, you you know, when you read that, you know, the person was involved in projects, they understand the importance of budgets and and following rules and being on time. But what you could probably say is that statement could be basically about any project manager, Mm -hmm, right? Any any project manager or a person in that experience could put that statement on their resume. But if you changed that and made it more quantitative and qualitatively heavy, you could say something like led implementation of $25 million financial reporting system, determined milestones, wrote business requirements, scheduled testing, and coordinated a team of 10 while overcoming resistance to change with rollout of training. So all of a sudden, you have a much heavier statement quantitatively and qualitatively, right? Right. We know this person has what the type of projects this person has now worked on, the size of the budgets that they've managed, the different components of the projects they've been a part of, the fact that they have definitely overcome challenges with actionable items. So that statement is not a statement that's necessarily going to be on any project manager's resume. That's going to be on your unique resume that you write. So I think that kind of ties into expressing the importance and the strength of a state that the statement can become if you focus on quantitatively and qualitatively adding value and also telling an enticing story that somebody wants to read for sure. Mm -hmm. Now, we're talking about developing resumes and cover letters that are kind of specific to the positions that you're looking for. So if you're looking for two that are in the same industry but different, you should develop different ones. So I'm wondering about consistency across your cover letter, resume, and interview. So why is it important to be consistent across these mediums? And what message does this consistency send to an employer? So when I think about consistency, I think about branding yourself mm-hmm. and messaging. And, okay. and to be honest, that could be a whole different, like that could be a whole separate conversation that we talk about. Mm-hmm. But big picture, um, consistency and messaging reinforces who you are and what you can bring to an employer. So if we go back to the project manager idea, let's Mm -hmm. let's take a candidate who was a project manager, but let's say that the same candidate in a previous life was a teacher. Okay. My recommendation would be not to spend a lot of time on your resume talking about your teaching career if you're going for a project manager job, even if that teaching career was impressive. What you end up doing is confusing the message and the reader because they won't really know for certain what your long-term objectives are. If you want to be a project manager, talk about the projects you've managed, the value those projects have brought, et cetera, and the obstacles that maybe you've overcome as a project manager. And scrap any discussion that doesn't support your current career objectives. 
And that's what I'm talking about when I'm talking about consistency. Okay. And I really appreciate those examples that you gave. And we've kind of talked our listeners through the cover letter and resume, through an interview. So that brings us to salary discussions. And one of the things you said in an article that you wrote is your salary today is just the judgment of one employer in one environment under one set of circumstances. So what are your thoughts on, you know, salary discussions and figuring out, you know, what you're worth and how that all plays into kind of being a substitute hire? So starting about with figuring out what you're worth, ultimately you need to do your homework. And the most important aspect of this is understanding the landscape you're operating under. Mm -hmm. If you're a new graduate, you could start with your school's career center, for example, asking them for the research that supports what graduates in your field get paid at entry-level positions. Whether you are a new grad or an experienced professional, one of the things I often recommend my clients is to do is to use the library, the public library. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's actually researchers there at libraries that will look up this type of information for free for you, you know, as part of your tax dollars. So you mm-hmm. can take advantage of that. And things to consider when you're doing this research are things like industry, the location, whether you're living in a rural environment or an urban environment how much people are making in your field today, your hands-on experience level, you know, how many years you've been in the field yourself, the financial health of the employer. Is it a booming market? Is it a constricting market? Mm-hmm. Is the organization public, private, or nonprofit? All of this information should help you come up with a range that you believe that you are worth. Do you recommend giving a range and how much of a range would you, you know, suggest? Well, there's a couple of different things. Mm-hmm. Um, There's the salary history idea and then the salary range idea. Okay. And um, studies, and if if we start with salary history, studies show that if a candidate shares their history too early, it almost always results in a lower salary for the candidate. So if salary history, if the salary history question comes up, my recommendation is to pivot the conversation as much as you can. Mm -hmm. Regardless of what an employer or recruiter tells you, it is not required for them to have your salary information. That information is considered private and confidential, just like the hiring manager's salary is. So once you communicate that, you can follow that up with the idea of telling the employer that you'd like to help them assess what you personally are worth in respect to the job. So for example, maybe there's a project or a problem the employer currently has that he or she could lay out for the candidate. Mm -hmm. And then the candidate could judge or, or could communicate how he or she would go about resolving the problem. The bottom line is that you're asking the employer to give you a chance to show how you can add value to the organization. Basically, you're acting like an employee already, right? Mm -hmm. So that's the salary history side. And then when we go back and we start to talk about salary range, you know, like I said, it's important to know there's a difference between the the two. Mm -hmm. And my belief is that even though you should avoid communicating the salary history, you should have a desired salary range. And that should be something that you're willing to communicate. And you should be able to justify it and defend what that communicate, you know, what you're communicating, showing that you're worth it. And how to go about coming up with that range is what we were talking about earlier, the types of research that you should be looking into to kind of come up with the dollar amounts that you think are fair for your position, for your level, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And, you know, all in all, Katie, I like to remind people that you need to be prepared for some employers or recruiters to not want to move forward with you if you don't disclose this information. Everybody has different thoughts on salary, right? How mm-hmm. much they protect, how want to protect it or not. You just need to ask yourself how much you care about working for a specific employer that is unwilling to move ahead without the information, information that they really don't have a right to know. Mm-hmm. 
Now, just thinking about this whole kind of subject, big picture, what are some of the challenges that job seekers face when they're trying to make themselves unforgettable with the tips and strategies that we've talked about today? Sure. I think there's two big challenges. Mm -hmm. Um, One is not embellishing beyond what you can support and what your references will back up. Mm -hmm. And the second is not understanding the value you really brought. And in reality, I think there needs to be a a balance between the two. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, with the people that I often, the job seekers that I often work with, I think it's hard for them to sometimes see the value that they're bringing to their employer and to their schools. In their mind, they're just doing their job. Right. But I've also come across situations where people know they need to quantify and they end up being a little too generous with what they communicate. Mm -hmm. So this is why I think it's really important for job seekers to reach out to professionals, whether it's a resume writer, career consultant, somebody at your school. These professionals are generally unbiased and the good ones are going to ask you tough questions to make sure that what you're communicating doesn't understate or overstate your value in any situation. You know, it's really hard to be objective when you're looking at yourself. So getting that outside um, opinion is important. We are up against the clock today, so I just wanted to give you these last couple seconds here to share any final pieces of advice that you'd like to share with our listeners on this subject as far as being successful with this. Well, first of all, I want to just kind of continue to be a voice of encouragement. I think if you're Mm -hmm. listening to us right now, I want to encourage you that you're doing the right things, you're investigating and taking the time to learn how to go about your job search in smarter ways. Don't go at this process alone. You don't need to. Align yourself with trusted resources, people that understand your career objectives, understand the job market, and understand the demands of today's job search. And I think by using these types of resources, you're, you're going to grow as a candidate, you're going to become more marketable, and you're going to hone in on the best techniques that are going to help you get that job, that salary, or that promotion faster. So ultimately, I just encourage you to hang in there, to keep learning, trying new things until you find the combination that works for you. There's really no magic formula, only, you know, guaranteed opportunities to learn. And I think you should take advantage of them. And with that final piece of advice, we will wrap up the show for today. So just want to thank Kim for joining us and sharing her expert advice. We do appreciate it. Thank you, Katie. It was a pleasure being on. Now, to find more employment-related shows, head over to aljanradio.com. If you have any comments, questions, or suggestions for future shows, please send me an email at aljanradio at localjobnetwork.com or send me a tweet at the LJN. And once again, I'm your host, Katie Chesney, and I wish you the best of luck with your job search.